It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we got a packed show for you. We got to talk about Big 12 quarterbacks in both sides of the championship game in the NFL this Sunday. We got to talk about what in the blue hell is going on in Michigan. Why? It's really not that big a deal, and I'll let you get to that. We'll calm you down a bit. We also got to talk about what is Lane Kiffin doing, going to get yet another transfer out of the portal to compete at what we think is going to be an open quarterback competition. But first, yo, last Thursday, Coach Prime did what Coach Prime does, and he pulled yet another five-star recruit out of a recruiting class. This one is cornerback Cormani McClain. McClain is the number one player at his position at cornerback who also is committed to Colorado, which is just still the wildest thing, and I'll get into why that is so wild. But what it means for us is Cormani McClain joins what is already the number one corner in the 2022 class, in Travis Hunter, which means that you're probably looking at both of those guys at one point or another holding down the field or the boundary, which is wild to think about for me because it's one thing for you to have outstanding corners or an outstanding corner or even an outstanding corner in safety. It's another thing for you to have two number ones from back-to-back classes on the same field at the same time playing for you. And did I add this is Colorado? All right. So this went down last Thursday, and I immediately went, well, Miami, that sucks because it felt like they had him up until a minute. And then you're looking at this, and you see that he'd been committed to Miami since October, went all the way through early signing period without making a decision, then makes a decision about a couple weeks before National Signing Day, which is February 1st, the Wednesday. Yes, because February 2nd is a Thursday, and I got date night. So that's how I was able to keep that straight. It's also the second straight season for which we talk talk about Coach Prime pulling out a recruit that we don't think he should have any business going to get unless you are on the train, right? He did this by landing Travis Hunter at not just an FCS school, but an HBCU, the first of its kind in the recruiting era where the number one player at the time in the country decides to play at the lower division. And... You got to see what that looked like at Jackson State, right? And Jackson State was really good when Prime was head coach. But for most college football fans, it's been kind of a fun story. Even, dare I say, an oddity. Because they're like, oh, okay, that's nice. He's doing that in the FCS. He's doing that in the SWAC. I don't actually play against Jackson State because, A, they don't really, they weren't in the business of scheduling Power 5 programs. And, B, you know, You're just not going to play them in any sort of bowl game or playoff situation. And then Prime took a job in the Power Five, 
where people already said he's not going to be able to do at Colorado what he did at Jackson State. First of all, you have no idea how hard it was for him to do that at Jackson State because it's been tried, guys, and nobody else was able to do it. Now you go from 63 scholarship players to 85 scholarship players. You go from a place that couldn't even get clean water in the facility and you still won more games than anybody else in that short amount of time to a place where they quite literally have water coming off of mountains. Okay? This is not going away. Prime is going to be here for a long time. And Courtney Monty McLean is yet another reason for you to get on board with this train before it leaves the station. I'm telling you, we at the number one college football show have been all over the Deion Sanders stuff because, well, it's fun and I'm drawn to winning like you're drawn to winning. So question is, what does this move mean for Dion? It means that nobody is off limits to him. Nobody. That puts him in an echelon with Nick Saban, with Kirby Smart, with Ryan Day, with Lincoln Riley, very, very quickly. And again, hasn't yet coached a game in the Power Five, but is landing five-star recruits. Give that, a, give that just a think. Who is the last first-year head coach you know of who's landing five-star recruits without ever having coached a football game in Power Five? Now, there are lots of names out there, but I need you to think about it because it is one that is jarring, right? I think that comes into account. Could Cormani start for the Buffaloes right away? It's easier to say who he wouldn't start for right away. Of course, I think he's going to start right away. He's a five-star player and the best player at his position in the 2023 class. And what else you gonna do? I, I'm, I'm, I'm being, being kind of serious on this, uh, but as much as it feels like I'm being funny, but there are maybe 10 players at his position that might start ahead of him, and they don't play in his conference, all right? No disrespect to the Pac-12, but you're going to start Cormani McClain everywhere else in that league. You're talking about perhaps Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, maybe Michigan, right, what they've been able to do lately. But that list gets very, very small very, very quickly. I'm more interested to see what this means for Travis Hunter because you'll also know that Travis Hunter played both ways at Jackson State, or at least maybe you know because you listen to this show because I'm the only national guy that really gives a damn about what JSU was doing last year. And frankly, it's for reasons like this. So that when this sort of news happens, you know that I've been paying attention to it. And if you watch nothing else of Jackson State last year, perhaps you watch the Celebration Bowl for what you saw the viral clip of him catching a touchdown pass from Shazur Sanders that put them in a position to win the game. This is the man who came in as a corner. And when I asked Coach Prime about Travis Hunter, whom he had just landed maybe three weeks before he did our show last February, if he was going to go both ways, he was coy. He said, look, I, I got I to gotta get Travis to play corner first. He got to be really good at playing corner. Well, he was really good at playing corner very, very quickly. All right? So much so that they had him going both ways. And not only that, they had him playing against FAMU, even though he wasn't fully healthy. It was his decision to go. Prime really had to think about it. He didn't want him to go out there and not be the guy he is capable of being. And he's still one of the better players in, the, in that division, one of the better players in the country. Now, I've also heard Coach Prime say, hey, look, Travis's heart kind of at receiver, guys, and he's really good at it. And frankly, if you look at the NFL, that's where the money is. It ain't in being the best corner in the NFL. It's in being the best wide receiver in the NFL. Anybody's going to see that dude high point a ball knows that he could do that. And so if you know you've got Kwamani McClain on one side of the field, does it make it easier 
for you to let Travis Hunter go both ways? I think so. Because you're no longer asking your number one corner to do both sides and do both work, uh, do as much work as much as you're asking him, hey, here and there, we're going to let this go. We're going to let this slide. We're going to see what you can do. And we're going to let you be who you wanted to be. The reason that you signed up to be coached by Coach Prime. Because that dude famously went both ways at every single level and was a problem at every single level. And that is what Kwamani McLean has signed up for too, which begs the question, how long before we might think of Kwamani McLean going both ways? This is the kind of excitement that we're getting from a Coach Prime football team, and I'm very excited about it. Now, Coach Prime has managed to keep Colorado very much in our line of sight because some other news happened very, very quickly following the news that Cormani McLean committed to Colorado. And that is Jaden Rashada received his release from the University of Florida on Friday, the day after Cormani McLean had committed Thursday last. So let me backtrack this for a little bit, catch you up on Jaden Rashada if you don't know already. Okay. Jane Rashada is a four-star recruit, top 30 in the country, actually, so fringe five-star recruit at quarterback. Dude's coming out of Pittsburgh, California, thrown for over 5,200 yards, like 59 touchdowns, 18 picks last year alone. He's that dude. Now, he had first committed to Miami in November. Then he flipped his commitment to Florida in November, and that's where it gets interesting. After he committed to Florida, the Gator Collective – that is, their NIL collective that is not affiliated with the University of Florida, but is run by University of Florida alumni, had put together a contract for him that pays him $13 million over 40 years. It's a good chunk of change. And I would like to see it if I were him. Not long after they sent him that contract and he signed it, they tried to send him a termination letter and renege on the $13 million over four years. You can see how that's a problem for the Rashadas. And frankly, it should be, because now we're talking about adults who don't keep their word and think that somehow a contract is not binding. But he signed his letter of intent eventually during an early signing period, even as Billy Napier dragged his press conference on for another hour waiting for it to get there. And then it became clear that he was not going to enroll at the University of Florida. The late registration period came and went, and he was not enrolled. He asked for his letter of intent to be released, along with you know any obligation he has to the University of Florida. And he got that on Friday last. Now, what's interesting is we got a report from rivals that claims that Jaden Rashada had set up an opportunity to go take a look at Colorado. Now, don't know if that visit actually came into fruition. Don't even know if, you know, got some good uh, reports out of it because, frankly, the, the photo shoots that we're used to seeing coming out of this, not necessarily eye-popping, but, you know, we got two weeks to figure it out. What is interesting, though, and I think the thing to take away from all of this is Jaden Rashada, a top quarterback recruit, is giving his attention to a football program that finished 1-11 last year, has not had a single winning season since 2016, and hasn't had back-to-back -back winning seasons since 2004, 2005, or the last year that Joel Klatt played quarterback in college. 
I cannot tell you how big a deal that is. Now, caveat there. There are lots of folks that want to say, hey, well, Jaden Rashada also has to take a look at places where they're full up. Don't give me that. Don't, don't, don't give me that. I don't care about what you think is full up. For a player of his caliber, you will pull out all the stops. And frankly, others have. Like Arizona State is going to try to win him. He's uh, reportedly taking a visit to Texas Christian. He's going to see all that's out there for him to do. And I really think that it is just folks getting mad about Jaden Rashada having this, this much attention who want to raise the issue of, hey, does he even have a scholarship in most places? Yes, hell he does. Okay? He is that good. And for you to act as if he isn't is just sour grapes, and I'm not here for it. Now, on top of all of that, I wondered about the name, image, and likeness aspect of it for Jane Rashada, for which it has become clear that is a big part of it, or at least it was a big part of it at Florida, okay? I'd like to think that other folks would ask him about his NIL, let's call it promises, what he would like to see. The nice thing about a place like Colorado is you got pride. You got a head coach that was on the cover of GQ magazine. You got a head coach that succeeded in getting his star quarterback and son a sponsorship from Gatorade as an FCS player, putting Shadur Sanders' name next to that of Serena Williams, Zion Williamson, J.J. Watt, and the like. You got a coach who's got his own docuseries on Amazon Prime called Coach Prime. And you've got a man who has over 3 million followers on Instagram, over 1.3 million followers on Twitter, and anything he wants to say and give attention to gets its attention. All to say, you ain't got to depend on anybody's NIL collective to get you a grip if you play for Coach Prime and you can play. They will come and find you. I don't know who else is going to be able to put that kind of a deal together for him just by being in the same room and quiet as it's kept, if you choose to commit to Colorado and sign your letter of intent and make it stick, you are the heir apparent to Shador Sanders, which means you would be the first quarterback to come after Shador Sanders has finished playing his college football. And that's not a bad spot to be at all because all you've seen from Shador Sanders is he can spin it and his head coach is going to let him. What says he wouldn't let a guy like Jaden Rashada do exactly that. Now, after all of the success that Colorado's had on the recruiting trail, even adding 25 to date commits out of the transfer portal, how quickly before they contend? I don't know. I'm not betting against them. I've already circled games like Colorado versus USC on September 30th because we're going to figure out a bunch. I've circled games like September 2nd versus Texas Christian because we're going to figure out a bunch. What I'm saying here is this is the first time in my, in my entire life that I have been excited about Colorado football. I should take that back. It's the first time in 21st century I have been excited about Colorado football. Last time I was excited about Colorado football, Slash was playing quarterback. Rashad Salon was in the backfield. I was eight. Okay? I'm here for exciting football. I'm here for cool stories. And if they contend in the Pac-12, it shouldn't shock anybody. What would be a shock, I think, is if they make the college football playoff in his first year. But I would not bet against him doing just that. Also add to this little nugget that I love. USC has never lost to Colorado. Never. And they've been playing them off and on since 1927. It's like 16 straight games of USC stomping on Colorado. 
We'll see what that looks like come September 30th. Because, you know, quiet as it all is kept, the, the strength of Coach Prime's football teams are not the offense. They're the defense. That's how they were able to beat people up at Jackson State. And that's Charles Kelly as defense coordinator, who was coaching secondaries at Alabama. Hello? Just saying, man. There's a lot to be excited about here. And if you're not excited about it, I can't help you. I, I, I can't help you, right? That, that's where I'm at while now do this. All right. Let's go from Kwamani McClain, Colorado, Jaden Rashada, and Coach Prime to what was once thought of as the Portal King. He's had to relinquish that title and even relinquished it himself in Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss and what he has done here recently. So, Spencer Sanders, former Oklahoma State quarterback, has chosen to transfer to Ole Miss, to which, when this news happened, producer Tyler sent me a text going, what is Lane Kiffin doing? So we had to go and check that out because now you have potentially three guys that could start for you on the roster. One of them is your returning starter in Jackson Dart, former national Gatorade player of the year, Jackson Dart. But obviously he was not so good that you did not feel like you needed to bring somebody else in to compete with him. That is what a Spencer Sanders does. And that's before we talk about Walker Howard, who chose to transfer from LSU to Ole Miss, and we expect all three to compete for the starting job for Lane Kiffin, which is another way of saying he's out here to win. It's also another way of saying, why am I going to waste my time recruiting a quarterback out of high school if I can just go get guys out of the portal that I know can play? Okay, that is one aspect of this. Another aspect of this is, why would Walker Howard and Spencer Sanders go to Ole Miss knowing what Jackson Starr is able to do? Well, if you ask Spencer Sanders, it's because he thinks he can beat him out. I think Walker Howard is thinking the same thing, but he's got the long game here because we got one year eligibility for Spencer Sanders, this last one, right? We got two years of eligibility for Jackson Dart, but with the new transfer rules, you can't exactly just transfer away and expect to be able to be eligible right, uh, right away because they're trying to put that one down, trying to make you stay there for a couple of years or grad transfer. So Jackson Dart could perhaps graduate this spring if, if he is or this summer, if he's got that many credits. And then if he doesn't think he's going to win the job, go elsewhere. And then you got a Walker Howard who can probably bide his time and perhaps be Lane Kiffin's quarterback of the future. So I really think it's going to be Spencer Sanders versus Jackson Dart. But if nothing else, you got a great backup quarterback, no matter what you do. That said, I don't think that Spencer Sanders is good enough to beat out Jackson Dart because I've seen him do throw, throw the football away too many times, put the ball on the floor. That's just not what I want out of my quarterback. And there's a reason as to why Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy let Spencer Sanders walk. And not only did he let him walk, he brought in a guy that hasn't started a football game since the pandemic in one Alan Bowman, who's transferring from Michigan, his grad transfer to Oklahoma State. You'll know his name because he was quarterback at Texas Tech, right? That is going to be their guy in 2023. This only is Spencer Sanders gambling on himself. And I respect the hell out of that because I'm that type, right? I just don't know that I would have picked out Ole Miss, but who knows what kind of offers he was getting and from, wh from where he was getting those offers. Now, for Jackson Dart, go do what you know how to do. There's a reason that you want to transfer to Ole Miss. You want to play against SEC competition. Come to find out you just can't throw on everybody in this league like, you know, you could in USC. And you aren't the strength of it anymore. It is the tailbacks. I expect... Quishon Judkins to get something like 250, 300 carries next year because Lane Kiffin is the guy who will decide 
No, I'm just going to put it all on Derrick Henry's back. Give him 300 carries. Or I'm going to throw the football to Amari Cooper a million times. If that's what they do, you just need a quarterback back there that's not going to throw the football away, and it's going to take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities. If Spencer Sanders turns out to be that guy, great. But I still think that guy is Jackson Dart right now, and Walker Howard can become that guy in the future. Now, stockpiling transfer quarterbacks is also just an interesting move, and we'll talk about that at a later date in how we think that high school football and transfers are changing the way that quarterback recruiting is done. But it is worth asking, is this a better strategy than Ohio State, who notoriously has been very aggressive in recruiting quarterbacks out of high school? Kyle McCord comes out of St. Joe's in Philly. He bided his time. Devin Brown comes out of Canyon Corner in Utah, right? Like one Jackson Dart. Uh, we, uh, we, man, my goodness, Quinn Ewers comes out of South Lake Carroll. It's there for just the year, but you get it. C.J. Stroud comes out of Rancho Cucamonga. The only guy that, he, that Ryan Day has recruited that started as a transfer is Justin Fields, and that was his first year being the guy, right? He needed somebody that could do it right away and knew that Tate Martell was not the guy to get it done. Can't tell you how right he was about that. In this age of people not being able to identify quarterbacks and get that right, Ryan Day seems to be doing just fine with that. And if you can do that, I think you should. But I would much rather have guys on my depth chart that have been in my system for two or three years that inherit the job as much as they earn the job when I have somebody else coming in that has to ingratiate themselves and then learn the offense and then get on the right page with everybody. I don't know that that's the best way to do it, but it also is indicative of beggars can't be choosers, right? And there are only about five programs right now in college football who get to choose. I would put Alabama in there. I'd put Georgia in there. Ohio State would be in there. USC because of what Lincoln Riley has been able to do. And then maybe, maybe we're talking about a Michigan. But outside of that, it's really difficult to make the argument that most Power 5 programs can just recruit out of high school and hope to hold on to their talent and not have to fill that void with a transfer quarterback. I think that most high school, excuse me, I think most head coaches would love to get high school guys, but holding on to them when they're not playing is becoming harder and harder to do unless you're at one of these institutions that wins national championships or puts quarterbacks into the first round of the NFL on the regular, which is why I capped the list at, I guess I'm capping it at four. Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and USC. Because those folks know how to put quarterbacks into the first round of the NFL draft, and that's what you're after. Or excuse me, that's what you're after as a quarterback. So, also leads to another, well, really interesting phenomenon that nobody could have predicted even five years ago when the transfer portal first came into fruition, 2018. So, I went ahead and looked up all the projected starters among the Power Five plus Notre Dame. And producer Tyler and I put that together in an Excel sheet so that we could get the numbers right and see what we're looking at. And out of those 69 programs that make up the Power Five, 42 of them project to start transfers. 42 out of 69. That's ridiculous, right? And there are 25 schools are projected to start a quarterback out of high school. Just two are to be, you know, determined. UCLA with Colin Schley and Dante Moore. And then Virginia, we'll see, right? Because they got a guy that's throwing 95 miles an hour on a baseball diamond who's also going to be competing for a job. And the last guy that I knew that could do that and one is Kyler Murray, but that's because Kyler was always going to play both. 
right? He came there because he wanted to play both or Oklahoma to play, to play both. I think when we're looking ahead, this is just the way it's going to be. Now, the COVID year, I think, has a lot to do with what we saw in 2022 and what we're going to see in 2023. But most of those guys are going to age out here very soon. But I gave away the Frank Harris Award last year, right? The I Love College Award. That dude's coming back for year seven. We got a player at Oregon who's in year nine. It is not uncommon now to see guys play five and six years of college football, even with four years of eligibility, either because they're redshirting or they have a medical hardship or they're grad transferring. There are all different ways for you to stretch that time that there weren't before because we are coming to a space of giving the players more autonomy. That's also what name, image, and likeness is like. After the NCAA and, frankly, its member institutions decide to continue to kick the can down the road, NIL is the Wild West. Nobody's been able to wrap their arms around it or wrap their hands around it and understand what the regulations are because there really aren't that many. And there's any other kind of way to get this money. So they are begging the legislative branch of the United States government to do their job for them. Meanwhile, the legislative branch got other problems. Solving name, image, and likeness ain't at the top of the list. Neither is solving the transport portal. I think, however, that we're getting to a space where the windows are helping because we're doing this show after the latest transfer portal window has closed, right? So the Monday before the championship games are played, we open the transfer portal. We close it on January 18th, 45 day window in the winter, uh, in the winter. And it's going to be a 15 day window, May 1st through the 15th. But those are only the moments when you can put your name in the portal. You can transfer at any time once your name is in the portal. So you'll hear about other guys committing to transfer all the time. But what is very cool is that now everybody knows when they're going. Now, as we got the early signing period in December, we got bowl games in December, we got championship games in December, we got transfer portal in December. We're all kind of feeling how crunched that time period is. And I expect to see some moving and shaking on that front. Perhaps the signing date gets moved up to like August as opposed to December, and then we have another one in February. you got to remove something from the plate, especially as the college football playoff is expanding to 12 teams in about two years' time. And let's not forget, we got a 14-team league for the Big 12 for one year, and the Big 10 is going to go to what looks like 14 teams, 16 teams. i, I got to do the math again, Producer Tyler, because I'm getting out of whack here. UCLA, U, uh, USC are going to join the Big 10 after this year. So we got a lot of moving and shaking on all of this as we're trying to figure out what's next. But the idea that I can stockpile transfer quarterbacks is not one that I, I, I can dismiss out of hand. It's just what you got to do. Or you try to do, well, maybe the best of both worlds, right? Like Oklahoma has Dylan Gabriel coming back for another year, but they also secured Jackson Arnold, National Gatorade Player of the Year. The last guy to win National Gatorade Player of the Year, commit to play at Oklahoma and sign, Kyler Murray. If you can do both, I suggest do both. But right now, you just got to put together your roster, man. You have to act as if it is the NFL, which means that you're going to go through what, you know, is early signing period and signing days, kind of like our NFL draft. And then you're going to go on the waiver wire, which is, you know, our transfer portal. If you are a fan, though, and I've said this to my coworkers, I've said this to my close friends that love college football and love their teams because nobody asked me about the sport of college football. They asked me about their team. Yeah, RJ, uh, enough with all that. Tell me about Wisconsin, right? I, I get a lot of that. What I'm going to tell you is you should not care one iota about what the damn roster looks like in January through July. 
You got a good seven months of getting to put that down. All right? There is no college football to watch during that period. None. Zip. Zero. Be a baseball fan. Ben Verlander's got a great podcast called Flipping Flipping Bats. Be a college basketball fan. We got Titus Tate over there. Be a WWE fan. We got Ryan Satin over there. We have things that you can concentrate on that don't have anything to do with the the two-deep depth chart in January. All right? And I'm the National College football guy saying that because it's going to turn over. It's going to turn over again in May. It's going to turn over again during the preseason when you're really going to lose your mind. And then it's going to get locked up, and you're going to know what you have by September. But guess what happens in September? We start playing football again, guys. You know, I say this often, but I'm going to say it again. I have the shortest regular season and the longest offseason in any major American sport. Kind of sucks on that front because it just means I don't get to watch as many games as, say, you know, 162 games in a baseball season. However, it does make me very good at telling you, worry, world, don't worry about this. Calm down. It's okay. Which leads me to our third segment on the number one college football show. There's a lot that's been going on at the University of Michigan. Okay. First, we had the will he or won't he with Jim Harbaugh, meaning will he go to the NFL or won't he stay at the University of Michigan? And after some him and hawn and a couple of I'm still committed tweets from Jim Harbaugh, we had the president of the university say he's going to be here in 2023. And then we had Jim Harbaugh say, I'm going to be here in 2023. Nobody should worry about that. I'll also add to this. There are going to be now nine head coaches that are making $9 million or more in 2023 because Josh Heupel got an extension that is going to pay him that amount by the end of it on Tuesday. Jim Harbaugh is not one of those nine people making $9 million a year, and he should be. You beat Ohio State twice. You win the Big Ten Championship twice. You make college football playoff twice. Yeah, you're one of the 10 best coaches in college football. I I think that's conservative. There's no reason for Jim Harbaugh making less money than Jimbo Fisher. None. Zero. And Michigan fans are really going to get upset because that means that Jim Harbaugh is basically making less money than Mel Tucker. Ask Michigan State how their season went this year. Okay? Now, on top of all of that, we also have some really dispiriting news in that Michigan terminated the contract of Matt Weiss, co-offensive coordinator at Michigan, who helped really put that team on the path that it was to play in the college football playoff once again. Now, without getting into any of the details here, there was a report from the university police that said uh, he was being investigated, Matt White's being investigated for a report of computer access crimes. Don't know what that is. Don't want to speculate on what that is, but the University of Michigan thought it was a big enough deal that they fired Matt Weiss. So I look at Sharon Moore and I say, okay, it's you now. Now, I personally have been way up on Sharon Moore for a very long time, okay? I think that the man was outstanding before he got to Michigan. He's a great motivator. And his offensive line has been the best offensive line voted on by offensive linemen for two years running. Before John Madden passed, he made, he made every effort to get to Sharon Moore to let him know what he thought of his offensive line, which I thought was outstanding. You keep that one forever. Because that's, that's the man. That's, that, that's the man. Like, for me, that's the video game. That's the guy on the Sundays. For others, that's royalty. 
He thought that much of what Sharon Moore was able to do at the University of Michigan. And then you look at what their run game was last year with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and with a brand new center who won a Remington Award. You understand now, it's his offense. It has to be. <laughs> For me, that means I know exactly who's calling the plays in 2023. Because remember, they didn't want to tell us who was calling the plays over there at Michigan for whatever reason, right? So that really, I think, shores up what the offense is going to be about, who's going to be in charge of the offense. And I think Sharon Moore's a riding star. He'll be a head coach whenever he wants to be. Also means Jim Harbaugh gets to go take a look around, see what else he could add to his staff that can make them a better football team. Perhaps somebody that can help them win a college football playoff game. Because Michigan is learning what a lot of us know. Just because you beat Ohio State doesn't mean you're going to win the national championship. I know that it sucks to hear that, but that's what it is. What's going to get you over that hump? And by the way, pay that man, pay that man his money. Now, on top of all of this, we got the NCAA violations at the University of Michigan, for which it feels like Jim Harbaugh is being called a liar by the NCAA. I don't really have a dog in the fight, and if I'm a Michigan fan... I'm just embarrassed because I don't want any of this news around my program. But again, I'm going to go back to what I said in segment three, which is you shouldn't care. And I, and I don't mean like you shouldn't care as to say um, you should dismiss bad behavior. I'm saying if you're a football fan who's going into the big house in September, October, November, this does not really get to your radar, right? Because Jim Harbaugh is going to be the head coach. They might have some violations that they have to uh, maybe they pull a scholarship or two. Maybe they lose a couple of days of practice, but they're going to play. And the makeup of the team is not decimated. It's just something you don't want to hear about. So I would really step back, say my football team is really good. We're the two-time defending Big Ten champs. And by the way, we have what is going to be one of the front runners for the Heisman Trophy in Blake Corum choosing to return. And that's outstanding news. But again, with that outstanding news, you come back to just some embarrassing moments. Like on Tuesday, Blake Corum's 2017 Camaro was stolen. Now, I don't know who stole it. I don't know what they stole it for. It's a camouflage Camaro. It's very, very difficult to miss, which is another way of saying you stole a Heisman Trophy win, or excuse me, a Heisman Trophy finalist by my estimate, not actually a Heisman Trophy finalist, but you understand. You stole the most visible player at Michigan's Camaro. Where the hell do you expect to go with it? You thought that went through? I, I thought that went through. It's camouflage. Camouflage from who, dog? From what? It's got a big BC2 on it. Like, like, what are you doing here? If nothing else, give the man back his car and let the man go about his business. He already blew out his knee. He's coming back from that. Chill out on all of that. But it is just another thing that I think is funny, right, uh, in how we are having to talk about Michigan seemingly every January and February. But I learned my lesson. You know, probably going to be a top five football team. Probably going to give Ohio State everything it wants. Probably going to be there at the end playing them for the Big Ten East Championship and perhaps uh, an appearance in the Big Ten Championship, in which case we're probably going to pick the Big Ten East winner yet again. All right. Now, going out, I feel sort of vindicated as an Oklahoma fan as much as Sooner fans don't want to admit it anymore, somehow, that the Big 12 is going to have three of the four starters as alumnus of its league playing in this week's NFL championship games in the AFC and the NFC. Now, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City, 
famously went to Texas Tech, played against Oklahoma, threw for 734 yards, had 816 yards total, which was ridiculous and still ridiculous. And Texas Tech lost that game. I need to I need like keep it keep it 100. All right. Now, other side of that is Joe Mixon is playing for the <laughs> the Bengals on that team along with Samaj P. Ryan. And they were playing in that game too, which is fun. So you got the Bengals versus Kansas City in the AFC Championship. That's going to be fun. And then on the NFC side, you have Jalen Hurts, who's at Oklahoma for a year, and Brock Purdy, who's at Iowa State for four. Now, the journey that Brock Purdy has been on is going to be the one that we talk about for a very long time. There are all sorts of parallels that people are drawing for him. Last pick in the NFL draft, he is a rookie. He's undefeated as a starter. You don't know how much of this to credit him for in as far as how the offense works because many people, you know, look at Kyle Shanahan, look at Christian McCaffrey, look to Debo Samuel, look to George Kittle and say, Trent Williams. It's really difficult to mess that up. And yet Jimmy Garoppolo did just that. Hello. There's also this aspect of it where Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy played against each other in 2019, famously at OU. Oklahoma won that game 42-41. But it wasn't because Iowa State got beat. It's because Iowa State lost it. Iowa State goes for two. Okay, Brock Purdy steps back to pass, got three tight ends out in routes. He throws to the only one that is double covered when he had a tight end wide open in the back of the end zone. I'm sure he still remembers it because I do. Because OU dodged a bullet. If they lost that game, they do not play in the college football playoff, which at the time, I wanted to happen. But Jalen Hurts also... It's quarterback of an Oklahoma team got stopped out 63-28 by Joe Burrows, LSU. And I ain't forgot. I ain't forgot. I ain't, I ain't forgot. I, However, their stats in that OU-Iowa State game are also ridiculous. Like, those dudes <laughs> went for 282, five pass TDs, five 50, uh, 55 rush yards and a rush TD for Purdy, which is a great line. You know, 282 yards passing Five passing TDs. Did I mention that Alex Grinch was the defense coordinator on that 2019 Oklahoma team? All right. Hertz goes for 273, three TD passes, 68 rush yards, two rushing TDs. But I think Brock Purdy's the same guy. I don't think Jalen Hurts is the same guy. Brock Purdy was a winner when he got to Iowa State. Brock Purdy also led Iowa State to its first major bowl victory in school history. And they've been playing football for over 100 years. They beat Oregon and Mario Cristobal in the Fiesta Bowl, and people wanted to act brand new about it. There are those of us that have been watching Big 12 football that feel more vindicated about what Brock Purdy has done than what Jalen Hurts has done, simply because Brock Purdy went to Iowa State and stayed four years at the Big 12. Meanwhile, Jalen Hurts comes in for the grad transfer a year. It's great. It's fine. Goes to Senior Bowl and wears an Alabama and an OU on either side. So we can have a discussion about who he actually belongs to, but for the purposes of this argument and the purposes of the NFC Championship, he's a Big 12 quarterback. I also think it's interesting that both of those guys are combined 47 years and 208 days old on Sunday, which makes them the youngest combined age of any two QBs in a conference championship game in NFL history. And just to underscore the moment that the Big 12 is having with these quarterbacks, before Patrick Mahomes won a playoff game with the Kansas City Chiefs, no Big 12 quarterback had won an NFL playoff game at all. Now, the league only goes back to 1995. And I'm not counting the Big 8 days or whatnot because it's the Big 12, it's not the Big 8, okay? I think that's phenomenal. And I think that's fascinating because, you know, Vince Young played the Big 12. <laughs> Landry Jones, uh, Sam Bradford, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. And that's only the dudes that I can think of playing, you know, 
uh, at the Cotton Bowl on the second Saturday of October. All right? Like, it's, it's like that. So for them to have three guys that not only are playing in the conference championship games, but have played and won playoff games is outstanding and phenomenal. Also underscored, how did, how did, how did Texas Tech squander the Patrick Mahomes experience? Because I just watched that dude beat a football team on one ankle. I, somehow, somehow Oklahoma beat Patrick Mahomes. And that's not something anybody else could take for granted, except perhaps the Cincinnati Bengals who look like they got Kansas City's number. I'm excited about this Sunday NFL games, right? I, I really am. I want to see if Brock Purdy can continue the success. I want to see what a rookie quarterback could do in the face of this pressure, even though they stomped out my Dallas Cowboys after I got on here and gloated about my Dallas Cowboys. But my Dallas Cowboys is my Dallas Cowboys. Matter of fact, since we're here, do you realize that the Dallas Cowboys have still made the most NFC championship game appearances of any NFL team since they started playing Super Bowl in 1967? You know when the last time we played in the NFC championship game? Jerry, fix this. J- Jerry, 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 fix this. I've been a Dallas Cowboys fan for since I was seven years old. All the black folks I love, Dallas Cowboys, Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders, Charles Haley, Emmitt Smith, Troy, Troy. Fix this. Fix, fix, fix this. We had that game won. Can't even get the kicker. His L- let, me, let me stop. That's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week. Deuces. <laughs>